Hello everyone, excited for this week's episode with my old boss, Megan Keeney Anderson. Megan was a marketing force at HubSpot for almost 10 years. If you don't know her, haven't worked with her, haven't heard of her, she was a real driving force behind a ton of the marketing at HubSpot and the product marketing and brand marketing and narrative. She is particularly adept and great at writing and storytelling, and that's what we get into in this episode. She also talks a little bit about her new role and her time at HubSpot, so really, really good one. Definitely keep listening. It was super fun to reconnect with Megan because you may have heard that I just left HubSpot as well. So after a really fantastic five and a half year run, I decided to leave. I just am very thankful and appreciative of HubSpot. I worked with so many amazing people over the years. If you're one of those people who are listening, thank you. I miss you folks. And I'm really pumped to share that next week I will start as the Director of Product Marketing at Pendo. Uh, Pendo helps product teams build better software, software that people love. And it's a great product adoption tool too, if you care about that sort of thing, which you might if you're listening. So really, really excited to join them. You know, the world is going product-led and product-driven and Pendo is at the forefront of that movement. And I'm thrilled about the space. I'm thrilled about the team, super excited to join jason and joe and everybody else my old buddy stuff so awesome team awesome company if you're interested in them you can find them at pendo.io last little thing i have been working on this project on this thing called narrative design for the last few years it's my system for telling a business story that people can't ignore i write about it a lot i tweet about it a lot and i have been working with the product marketing alliance on a master class for a while now we started in the summer and so you know a few months it's amazing it's you know hours of really really professionally done recorded video that i put a ton of work into wrote a lot on it and made sure i filled in you know all of the pieces that you would really need to do it it's anyway it's almost ready i did a webinar on it yesterday the tldr if you want to learn more if you want to get on the list if you want to get invited to the the master class get extra content go to bit.ly bit.ly slash pme dash podcast bit.ly slash pme dash podcast i'll put the link in the show notes but yeah super excited about it i would love it if you guys checked it out and let me know what you think hopefully it's interesting shout out to our sponsor crayon if you aren't familiar with it crayon is an awesome tool for pmms crayon analyzes market trends for you it makes acting on insights easy this means dynamically updated sales battle cards alerts dashboards much more crayon is a great tool for marketers looking to maintain differentiated messaging improve sales win rates catch important updates from competitors and much more. Check them out at crayon.co. All right, let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into writing and how it relates to product marketing. I think about writing in two parts. First, there's the ability to command words, grammar, and syntax. And then second, there's the ability to turn complex, abstract ideas into simple, persuasive stories. If you can master both of these as a PMM, you officially have a superpower. So much of our job revolves around making the complex simple, clearly communicating it, and doing it in a way that's exciting and persuasive for an audience. This is a huge value that we bring to our companies. Creative marketers embedded in products who know how to turn features into persuasive stories 
it's magic and it's done through writing. And while all of us can write, most of us are only really able to master one of these two parts of writing. You have to spend years and years learning and practicing and improving copywriting and storytelling before you can really, really do both well. So we need a product marketing expert to help speed us up here. Today's guest is a newly minted CMO. She still has that new C-suite smell and an amazing commander of not just words, but also ideas. Megan Keeney Anderson is CMO of the Wanderlust Group and the former VP of marketing at HubSpot. Megan, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Marcus. It's great to chat. So you are coming off almost a 10-year run at HubSpot where you started in product yeah. marketing. And of course, we worked together for like five years and now you're on to the yeah. Wanderlust group. But you had some time in between, right? How was the break? Do you have a pottery hobby now or um, <laughs> what, what were you up to? You don't want to see me with a pottery machine. I don't even know what the, if that's what that's called. Yeah, no, I, I was really fortunate to be able to take some time off between leaving HubSpot and starting at Wanderlust. Not everybody gets to do that. When you are able to do that, I would highly, highly recommend doing it because after you spend almost a decade someplace, you really need a reset. You have to clear your head. And the only thing that does that is time. You can't rush that. And so mm-hmm. I got really lucky and was able to take you know the month of December and also right now off. I've been doing a pretty good job of just not doing anything. I just read a book called How to Do Nothing, which a friend gave me. (laughs) And it's all about the importance of having a little space to just sort of regenerate. So I've been reading a lot. I've been spending a lot of quality time with my dog. His walks have gotten longer and trying to not schedule anything until the great Marcus Andrews calls and you get the chance (laughs) to do a podcast. So I disrupted your amazing uh, (laughs) vacation. That's what you're saying here. No, this is Um, great. Well, I think at the beginning of this episode, I'll share my news too, but I'm in this, I'm in the same like break period right now. And I agree. It's really nice. And I will also advocate for the value of, of call it boredom or like not doing anything. Cause it Mm -hmm. really is, I think just good to, to like slow way down and not have anything going on just to reset, but also, um, Right now with everything happening in the world, like in between jobs, it's just so helpful. Yeah. And I feel for everybody right now who is, I mean, I I say I've been reading and hanging out with my dog, but I've also been watching a lot of news and I feel for everybody right now who is trying to consume what's going on around them in the world while holding down day jobs and night gigs and whatever they can to be able to process during the space. Totally. It is a lot, but we'd love to hear about, so this is, so the new role, CMO of Wanderlust Group, can you give us the, like, you know, the minute and a half version of the company and what you'll be doing? Totally. So the Wanderlust Group is an outdoor technology company, and it's primarily focused on getting more people outside by making it easier to book marina slips and campgrounds. They're really trying to digitize industries that have just not been digitized up until this point, and many are still mom and pop shops operating on pen and paper and old antiquated credit card reader machines. And so they're trying to just modernize this whole industry to make it easier for consumers to book that travel and those stays, but then also to create more profit for those kind of small businesses that are running the marinas and campgrounds. Awesome. And you'll be running marketing, right? So it's like, what does the marketing team look like right now? Kind of um, where are you at in your stage of marketing evolution? Yeah, so they've really been very lean up until this point, and really they've got incredible, incredibly happy 
customers. Our MPS is like off the charts. They haven't done a ton with marketing. They've done some up until this point, but we're really looking to ramp that up over the next year. And I'm going to be building out a team, certainly going to be hiring for some roles. And I think that what's really fascinating about this company at this time is there's really a story there, right? So I was drawn to it because of the focus of the company. I've said this when I told some people I was joining, but this last year was a year of screens. Mm -hmm. We took Zoom calls and we did YouTube workouts and we binged Netflix and we doom scrolled on Twitter and screens were sort of everywhere. And we're about to exit this time of being trapped indoors, living life through our screens into a moment where we can start to get outdoors again. And so I really feel like over the next year, there's just this tremendous story to tell and kind of a love story to ignite between people and the outdoors again that I'm excited to tell and hopefully build a team to tell with me. Love that. And I think technology makes that really accessible too, because I I agree with you, everybody's dying to get outside, but it's almost a little intimidating, you know, like how do you... Do you have to know the people at a marina? Do you have to like, ha- like, do you have to find the campsites? And you know, I've found that there's certain apps and sites that just make it so easy and just so much more accessible. Yeah, cool. I mean, the, literally the way this works today on the marina side is let's say you have a boat and you want to head over to Manchester by the sea for the afternoon. They've got a really beautiful town. They've got some nice coffee shops. You wanna take your sailboat there and, and tie it up somewhere and be able to walk around the town. The way it works now is you actually have to get under course in your boat. You have to radio over to a marina, hope that somebody there picks up the radio. Then you've got to hope that there's an opening in their dock uh, because there's no way to see that in advance. And all too often you find that there's not and you've got no other destination to go to. So you just turn back around and go home. And you think about the dollars that are lost in investing into that local town, the the revenue that could be brought in by a more efficient way to see what slips are open and where you can to choose a destination when you're heading into the weekend. Everything is so rudimentary when it comes to that kind of experience right now that there's just a lot of opportunity. Love it. That's also like, that's the most New Englandy scene you just painted for us right now. You've got <laughs> it your sailboat in Manchester. A... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I grew up in an ocean town. And so I, I, I do know that pain. Love it. All right. So one thing I think most people who work with you would say is that you're a really strong writer. And I'm just, you know, I've, I've always wanted to ask, and this is a topic of the show, right? Like, is this something that you were just naturally gifted? How did it happen? Was there a time when you said like, Hey, I'm already good at this. I want to make this a real strength. Like when did it start for you that you really invested in writing? Well, thank you. First of all, I definitely take a lot of pride in writing and I'm definitely always working to get better at it. There's a writer, Joan Didion, who has a very famous line where she wrote, I write almost entirely to find out what I'm thinking. And I find that to be incredibly true for myself. I know a lot of other mm-hmm. writers do, you know, in my head at any point, there's always all these abstract connections and gut feelings, unexplained details. And writing has always been for me from a very early age, just sort of a way of sorting all that out, of lining things up to see how they click. And often in writing, I tend to uncover the thing that was behind every notion that I thought I had. And that's the breakthrough, right? So I guess it was a, I don't know how skilled I was early in, but it was a draw that I had early in as just a way of understanding the world and myself and communicating that back out. 
And when I saw that as sort of a lifeline, look, I was, I was a quiet kid and writing was kind of a lifeline in terms of how to communicate to the broader world. And when I saw that lifeline, I wanted to invest it in it. So mm. I worked at it and I read a bunch of writing and I took classes and I tried to hone it and I became my own worst and best critic. And, you know, the, every new job that I have amplifies that and, and gives me another hoop to jump through in terms of writing. Yeah. I love that. The, you know, unpacking what's in your head. I forget the quote, but we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. But uh, similarly, I think sometimes when I, like you say, it's writing's a lifeline. Sometimes when I try to communicate stuff, it just comes out as like a jumble or it's too many ideas mm-hmm. or it doesn't make sense. And I love writing because it allows you to focus and crystallize those thoughts and really be clear. Was there a time when you, was there anything that, that up-leveled you big time, you know, like, let's say you're early in your career and you're like, all right, you know, this is something that I'm, I'm good at. I want to invest in. Was there anything you did or started doing that, like really, you know, multiplied your effectiveness as a writer? You know, I think that as a professional writer, there's a few things that I started to do that I think have made a difference in my ability to write and they're very practical things, right? So I mentioned before you consume really good writing, you write, and then you rewrite basically. So Mm. when I would see really good writing, I would enjoy it thoroughly first, and then I would try to dissect it. So that could be a a poem by Hanif Abdur-Aqib, or it could be a really great product video script from a company that you admire. And so you want to look at that and try to figure out like, what is it that made that work? Why did that stir that emotion in me or connect with me in such a really clear way and actually try to figure out what was its architecture? Because even if you think a, a piece of writing is just coming out of, you know, from the soul to the paper, it's, it's usually not. There's usually an architecture underneath. And, and Marcus, you talk about this all the time with the narrative design. And so you try to really unpack what's going on beneath that piece of writing so that you can see it from all sides. So I do a lot of dissecting of what I think is really good writing. I also, another really practical thing, I carry a book around with me and I just write down what I observe, you know, even in like boring meetings, right? If you're sitting in the middle of a meeting and you find yourself drifting off, like use that time to make observations about the other people sitting in the room, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, you know, what the dynamic is in there. And you may never use that, but just that process of being an active observer can help to improve your writing skill. And then I think finally, the thing that I think really started to flex is to try to write in different styles. So Mm -hmm. typically when you get good at writing, you get good at writing in one particular type of way, in one type of cadence. And And if you can lean into that, but then also try to, again, break that down and try it from a different angle or a different approach, the most practical exercise I can give you guys is to try to write something in a hundred words and then write it in five and try to make that five word statement as powerful as the hundred words and vice versa. Those are the kind of like practices that I think took me from a decent writer to a good writer. And then hopefully someday I'll get to a truly remarkable writer. Yeah. Great tips. Those are practical, you know, consume the writing you like, try to, try to unpack it, write, rewrite in that step. You know, you're talking about like a variety of things. Is variety important to you when, when you're consuming writing, you're talking about poetry and product videos. If I want to become a better product marketer, should I just be trying to unpack these product videos or is that variety important? 
I love that point. Yes. I think the variety matters a ton because it's the same as with the sort of thoughts you expose yourself to. I mean, if all you do as a product marketer is unpack product pages and product videos, then guess what? Your product pages and your product videos are going to look and sound exactly like everybody else's, mm. no matter how hard you try to be original. There are these conventions that just happen and you see it happen across the you know tech industry in particular. Like somebody puts illustrations on their homepage and then you blink and every other tech company or SaaS based <laughs> company has illustrations on their homepage. And it's yeah. not, it's not malicious. It's not plagiarism. It's just an ethos that, that transpires. And, and that ethos can be helpful because it can help you tap into like a trend, but it can also keep you in a box. And so I would definitely underscore your point, Marcus, around bring some diversity into the content you're consuming and the writing that you're examining I, I try to always read a nonfiction and a fiction book at the same time. And I try to like divvy up the, or, or get some diversity in the types of authors that I'm consuming and the types of writing that I'm practicing. And I think that that helps more than almost anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the point around the structure and the architecture. I think sometimes people can think about writing as, and anything creative is sort of like, you know, magic and how does it happen? Yeah. But it helped me a lot to have structure because I'm good at the storytelling thing, but it didn't, I didn't really unlock it until I started to think more about it as structure. I was never good at ending blog posts. I'm pretty sure you just <laughs> told me to just like bookend blog posts at some point working together in HubSpot or like, you yeah. know, you have the idea at the, be the beginning, you end it at the end. And that was a very helpful structural tip for me to just like have strong endings. But yeah, yeah somebody told point. me once to, to write in islands, right? Like find mm. the first point that is salient to you and don't feel like you have to wait to get to that point, like get there and then you can construct the thing later on. And I think that that works for messaging. We can get into messaging versus positioning, but I think that works really well for messaging because it allows you to sort of throw your passion to the, the things that feel strongest to you. I think on the positioning side, there's probably more of an order that you need to take, but definitely write in islands when you're, when you're trying to write a longer piece like that. Totally. I really like it. Okay. So let's, so what, so what is a good writer to you? I mean, I talked about some of the things that I think yeah. um, makes a good writer, but if, if I can throw you that kind of pretty open-ended question to you, what, what makes strong writing or what makes a good writer? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the first trait that I would point to is curiosity. I think the best writers love uncommon details they look for unused routes and back doors into a subject matter. I think they understand architecture, but they don't write in formulas. Mm. In product marketing in particular, I love, and this is what I look for when I hire product marketers and you, Marcus, are, like you were great at this. I love a writer who is strict about positioning, but adventurous with messaging. Right. And I, I can say that on this podcast because your listeners get product marketing and they're likely to understand the difference between the two, but positioning being the architecture and the bones of your story, you want to be as strict and adherent to that as is humanly possible and really playful in the messaging. So I love a writer who understands the difference there. And I, I think the second more rare trait in a writer is to be a polymath, right? Like a multi-sport athlete, someone who given a message can sit down, as I said before, and compacted into five words or expand upon it into 5,000 words. Mm -hmm. And both of those entities can knock you on your ass at how powerful they are. That's really, that's like next level writing. And I don't think you have to be able to do that to be, a, certainly not to be a good product marketer, not even to be a good writer, but I think the best writers can shapeshift like that. 
and be an award-winning copywriter at an ad agency and also a really great thought leadership writer for longer form content. So that's rare to find, but I certainly look for that. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great points. Curiosity, having some rules and some strictness around positioning and have, I think it's important to have that science and architecture to the writing, but then also, yes, not being bound by it, being able to have fun. And I think, you know, just like be human and resonate with your audience with the messaging yeah. and the words, I think is great. And then polymath. I like that too. I'm reading a uh, range right now. And like, you know, the multi-sport athlete, just basically yeah. the value of having a, like all of these sources of inspiration or like ideas is really, really helpful when to use them, right? Like when to turn yeah. what side of yourself on in that writing and, and what the situation requires. Totally. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the words that product marketers write in positioning and messaging, kind of the differences there. Like just, I mean, why do you think it's important for product marketers to be strong writers? Like if you, you know, if someone's hiring a product marketer, do you think they should look for strong writers and why? Yeah, I think it's essential. I mean, think about where product marketing is sitting in the organization. If you, if you even want to look internally, I mean, they are translating from the product organization to the sales organization, to the outside audience. And that ability to be able to take a seed of a story and adapt it to all of those different people in those different stages of the buying process, that takes a strong writer. I think they're are cases to be made for different skill sets within product marketing that aren't as reliant on writing, but it, it was certainly always one of the first things that I looked for. People always give like cover letters a hard time in, in application processes. And they're like, oh, cover letters are so old school. We don't need them anymore. But I've always really loved cover letters as a way to, you know, absent writing samples to understand someone's voice and understand how they can communicate an idea uh, to a stranger. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's good advice for product marketers. I've heard that too, where it's like, oh, do you still need to write a cover letter? And I'm like, why not? You know, it doesn't take a lot of time. And it's, if anything, you're going to have a, a CMO or a VP who like really values it and it's a chance to, to shine. So I, I totally agree. And I think it's also smart for people to have, you know, even if it's not a ton of things, but to have at least three or four published articles on, you know, blog posts, medium articles, oh God, whatever yeah. that you're really proud of that you can. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think the thing is like above all, even when we're selling products, we're really selling ideas. And you know this about me, but I used to work in nonprofit. And when I first came into technology, part of me was like, oh, what a relief. There's like a tangible product that, that I can sell and not just, I'm not just asking for money because of an appeal, but I was quick to kind of learn that product or not, you're still marketing an idea. And really, you're still talking about values and feelings and outcomes. And they really weren't that different in the end. So I think being able to take, take an idea and a concept and make that feel like a product and feel real to people matters a lot. Yeah, totally. And there's that, yeah, that translation from, you know, the product to an idea. And then how do you get from that idea, like back to the product eventually? is yeah. a good thing for product marketers to be able to, to understand and figure out and balance. Cause I don't know, you don't want to go too far one way or the other, but I know, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not just these, it's not just products. It really is ideas. Yep. Do you have any examples of like how it really helped you in your career, just being a strong writer, any um, specific stories or like instances where it gave you a leg up? 
You know, I think in the beginning, it helped me because it helped me to clear my head and get organized around my own thinking. I think some people go to running for this and some people talk it out. Writing was, as I said before, always really my method there. And so I, I just wrote a lot in the beginning when I was absorbing what was going on. And I imagine I will do that as I enter into a new job a lot. And sometimes I used those copy banks and sometimes I would not use them. And sometimes I'd go back to them years later, but kind of keeping my pen moving as a way of, again, understanding the company and the customer in the world really helped a lot. But then as I kind of grew at HubSpot, if we'll stay with that example, I think it's a skill like anything else, something unique to bring to the table that can advance your cause or your company. And building a company takes a cross-section of people with different skills. And high among those skills is someone who can pull a narrative out of what it is you're doing, who can translate it into the larger world and, and give other people in the company the sound bites and the language to fall back on to help translate it in their own situations. And if that's your strength, like you lean into it, you know, that happened to be my strength. Other people, you know, were human calculators or were great at finding leverage in plateaus and they brought that to the table. And so I think like it became a unique skill that I could certainly use to do my job, but also help me understand what I was adding to the equation when it came to kind of coalescing around a problem or a strategy. Awesome. Yeah. Two really interesting things in there. One, I just, I like your point around like, Hey, you're not gonna, you may not, you may create some of these Google docs. Like you're doing some writing to help you unpack the idea or help you crystallize your thoughts or whatever. And it may just be something you never use. Maybe you come back to it later. Maybe you don't, maybe it's half finished. Like my old HubSpot drive is there's a million things like that where it's like I started working on this never turned into anything but I think it was important it is important to do uh so I hope people don't feel bad like I think it's good to feel okay about creating that stuff you don't use it totally and then yeah pulling the you know being able to to lean into your strengths too I think it's just another really good point there's different skill sets that are valued at tech companies or any company right but it's harder, it's easier to like, you know, be your, be yourself and lean into your strengths and, and show yeah. how that's valued versus trying to beat other people at their game. So I love that point too. I think it's really great. There's, there's two times, Marcus, that I would say writers are really useful. One is, you know, when you're dealing with a lack of certainty as a company, as we've had over the last year, as every person and company and entity has had over the last year, we're in that time where like nothing is really clear. You said at the beginning, writers are really good at finding something concrete out of the abstract and out of times of uncertainty. So I think that's one time that's really, really good for writers. Another is when you're in a situation where there's just a dearth of imagination, right? Like this actually happens far more often whenever a topic has become boring or there's so many competitors out there and they all look the same. Writers really shine in these times where there's a need for someone to give you a new angle from which to see the world and from which to see the product line. And those very polar opposite windows, I think are where you can wield writing in a way that's really powerful. Love that. And I think, yeah, I would agree with you that a lot of in B2B SaaS too, it's, you know, there's a lot of smart people or maybe, you know, maybe just the skill set and maybe the, the makeup of companies leans more towards you know, quantitative people who can build machines and, and, you know, have consistent outputs and are very, very analytical. And maybe that's what's leading to some of the conformity in the space. And so if, if you can stand out and if you can be more creative, you can really stand out. But I love those two points. That's awesome. 
What are some mistakes that people make? You know, you've managed a lot of creatives and writers early in their career. Are there mistakes that people consistently make when they're early in their career with writing? Anything you can do to give people advice that'll jump them forward? I think that, you know, the mistakes that people make, there's two that I see most often. One is they're, they're trying to mimic something that they've seen somebody else do that just isn't feeling authentic to them. Or a lot of times you see people leaning really heavily into jargon Mm -hmm. that they've seen used before to try to make it seem like they understand better than they do. Mm -hmm. Or you see them like decide to like pick a fight with their writing or like be really confrontational because they're sort of hoping that that confrontation will excuse the fact that there's not a lot of substance underneath. You know, you see people like trying to to mimic what they think the intended feeling should be on the other side. And I think that that happens because of a lack of structure and architecture underneath that messaging. And so that's why I said earlier, and and again, I'll give an, another hat tip to the work you're doing around narrative design is like, I think writing is not all art. Like you need to be able to understand the pillars that build up that message. And then you can do all the decorative words around it and make it look really nice. And so I find sometimes people will jump to the the end when they really haven't put the work into building the architecture. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. I think you see jargon everywhere and definitely, yeah, pick, picking a fight is something that's very popular, which could de- can easily backfire. Uh, and but there's yeah. a time and a place for it, right? Like I'm not yeah. saying don't pick a fight, but pick a fight because it is like, wow, when you built up your architecture, it all amounted to this very clear enemy that you need to go after and you need to go after strongly, right? And that that fits your brand and your a culture and all of that. Absolutely. It'll make sure you get it right. You know, I think the the positioning process, like I like what April Dunford outlines and like, you know, having that science and rigor and research before you go into it. And then also just like agreeing on those ideas internally yeah. where it's like, look, you know, these are the competitive alternatives. This is how we're going to tell our story. This is the enemy. This is where we're going. And then not only can you, pick the right fight, but you can like, everybody's, everybody's talking about it the same way across sales and marketing and whatever. And it really creates some momentum. You can't start with the full page ad in the New York times manifesto and work backwards. (laughs) Like you got to build to that. Definitely. Definitely. So we were talking about a way to get better, you know, read, consume, write, what does, where does feedback come into that? You know, getting other people, you can obviously be critical of your own work, but how do you feel about feedback? Any traps, anything that you recommend people can do to like get better feedback, increase, you know, use feedback in the best way possible. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people give feedback poorly. I think, you know, I'm not always great at it myself. I too often want to jump in there and pick specific words that I like or rework it in my own voice. And that's bad feedback, right? (laughs) Feedback, like writing is something that like everybody thinks that they can do from day one inherently, but really it's a skill you've got to develop and practice. And some days you get it right. And some days you are miserable at it. And I think that people think they've got this like magic feedback pen that they have as soon as they get a manager title or they, you know, are asked to to give it. The best feedback I think starts as questions, right? What are you trying to get at here? What's the strategy behind that line or that design? And then hearing, what the initial creator intended. And then you can say, okay, I'm not getting that as a consumer of this content. So how could we make that sharper? 
or how could we say this in fewer words or without that jargony phrase or, or what have you. But I think that we're so quick to try to jump to the solution when we give feedback that we're sort of like, it's missing its roots in what it is you're trying to solve. So I, I think that's where feedback goes wrong a lot. I also think it's really hard to consume something and immediately turn around and give feedback on it. I think that it's much better to be able to ruminate on it a little bit and to figure out, I mean, I remember we had a, a launch or some messaging at HubSpot that we were working on just this last summer. And we had sort of a review session on some of the language we were going to use. And in that meeting, I was asked for feedback and I was just like, ah, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really see it here. We gave horrible feedback in that meeting. And then I left the meeting. I went about the rest of my day and I'm laying in bed later that night and I'm thinking about it again. And there is a line from something that one of the writers came up with. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. But it took me six hours to be able to sort of get the space enough to actually process that and then come back and give them, you know, it, it wasn't a, that's it with this additional angle put into it. And so I think getting the space to be able to give feedback is something that's really helpful. It's not something that most modern businesses are set up to do. Most businesses, you've got a feedback meeting, it's 30 minutes, you get a bunch of feedback coming from different directions, or conf they conflict with each other, they're really in the weeds, and no one leads any better. I think as businesses, we can do a lot better at how we structure and create a discipline around feedback. And so, you know, hopefully, we can all get better at that. Yeah, it's a ton in there, I, but I really like the idea. I mean, I think a lot, like you're saying, the, the structure isn't right for it at most companies. A lot of the time, I think product marketers, like they have the pitch. It's structured maybe more like a sales, like a sales situation, right? Like yeah. you've got your sales deck, you go in, you pitch it to a group. But I think that, you know, and HubSpot adopted a lot of this, Amazon maybe created it, but like having the memo that you write beforehand and then you give it to people to read, that's great because it takes a lot of the, you know, who is this individual like talking in front of me like do they seem nervous do they do I know them do I trust them do they look like you know like it's yeah there's all of these things that are taken away when you ask people to write something and, and also when you make someone write something you kind of force them to crystallize their ideas too so I like that a lot where it's like hey write the thing and then send it before the meeting and we'll read it and then by the time the meeting comes along you've already had a lot of that time to think about it or process it what do you think of that I mean I've seen that be pretty helpful I think yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that there is something really cool about being able to go in and fresh, like dazzle people with your ideas. But the other way you can do that is you can, you can send the memo in advance, have them read it ahead of time and then discuss it in the meeting. Or you could go in and you could have the pitch and you can say, okay, now everybody like write down your initial thoughts. Let's come back for a review session in another hour or, or the next day so that you can sort of see the presentation fresh and absorb it. But that again, you've got that time to think through what it is that you're feeling when you, when you hear it. The other thing is I think, and this, it's so funny because like you and I have worked together. So everything I'm laying out here, I feel like I've got a specific example and I wonder if you guess the same ones, but I feel like you've got to know what you're giving feedback on because messaging is layered on top of positioning and then art is layered on top of messaging and tone is layered throughout all of that it's really important that the person giving feedback is able to decipher, is it the core idea and the core architecture that I have a problem with? 
Is it the way that the messaging brought that architecture to life? Is it the way that the creative work, you know, demonstrated that? If you can't figure out precisely where the problem is, then your creators are very likely to try to solve it in the wrong way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that for product marketers, that just means you got to be really clear about what positioning is, what's the difference between positioning and messaging, and then what is your process for it? What does it look like? What are the elements of it? And that's something that I think evolved a lot at HubSpot when we first, when I first started, there probably wasn't too much of that. But by the time I left, there's a lot of that. But even in the last year, just getting really clear on like, these are the definitions. This is how we think about it. Let's not try and use the wrong words. It just really helps and it takes time. But then once everybody understands, they start to look for those things. And if they're not there, they'll be confused. If they disagree with, like you're saying, if they disagree with part of it, they can be like, oh, okay. This looks like a positioning problem. So I'm going to give you feedback on that, but it's also how you roll it out and like how it gets built and how the teams work together. So totally really interesting stuff. Anything great that you're reading right now? I know you mentioned some stuff, but anything uh, you've got some time, right? Any good nonfiction or business books for people recommendations? I just finished a book called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, who um, is actually a podcaster as well. She does the podcast Invisibilia and it's nonfiction. I'm going to try not to give it away, but it's, it's a really good kind of examination of like meaning and language and the way we classify things and, and the significance they play in our, our world. And she sort of toys around with this idea that like the only meaning that matters is really the meaning between a small web of things and people around you, right? Like everybody tries to seek after this grand question of like the meaning of life or the purpose of it all. <laughs> And her whole book is an examination, not of that, but of the significance of the things that are closest to you in life and that make up your sort of unique existence. So that was really cool. It's funny because it's like, I read that. And for the first like third of it, I was like, this is pretty good. This is okay. This is okay. This is okay. And then I got somewhere towards the back half of it. And I was like, oh no, this is actually really good. Uh, (laughs) And I love books that do that, that sort of sneak up on you and seem almost mediocre is too too cruel of a term, but like seem a little bit like average. And then they're just like, oh no, I'm not actually that average. I'm actually going to flip your head upside down right now. So just finished that. What else have I read? I read a bunch of novels. So I don't know if that's useful for for your purposes. I just read The Vanishing Half. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss with my kid. Anybody can come up with the the names Sylvester McMonkey McBean and Oliver Bolliver Butts. Uh, Those are always (laughs) good for a laugh in my family. But yeah, I've been, I've been kind of keep, keeping it light on, on this break. Thanks. Anything to share with our audience? Are you hiring or anything like that? I'm definitely going to be hiring this year. I need to get into my role, which I'll still yes. start in the next couple of weeks and really sort of assess and build out those job descriptions for what I need. But I'm starting to get a better and better sense of it. And yes, if you love the focus area, if you want to reach out to me to, to talk through some roles, I'm absolutely all ears for that. Awesome. What's your outlook on product marketing? Do you think it's a good place for people to be right now? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, there's more definition and respect and interest in product marketing today than there ever was when I started 10 years or so ago. I think that just the fact that there are podcasts and communities and courses being built around it is all you need to know about where the career of product marketing is headed. Right. And I think that what makes it special and lasting is that it's a really malleable role. There are really strong connections between product marketing and brand marketing. 
And then if you turn your head a different direction, there are also really strong connections between product marketing and demand gen and go to market and sales enablement. And then again, like between product marketing and product development. And so it really is this discipline that sits at the intersection of a lot of different teams. And that makes you a really adaptable, malleable person. And you can go on to do whatever you want from then. Totally agree. All right, Megan. Well, thank you for taking some time off of your fun little break here. (laughs) And uh, yeah, super excited for you and congratulations on the new role. Thanks for making some time to chat. Yeah, no, congratulations to you too, Marcus. I'm really excited to see what you do next. City lights, uh, but it's all.